This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The sweater, the sweater. The sweater. The sweater. That... Ransom is wearing what, what yes, sweater? Yes, the sweater. <laughs> All of it? the Twitter ladies were very thirsty ah. for the sweater. <laughs> they wanted him in the sweater. I need to. I remember it's such a white sweater. I With thought. some holes in it. Yeah, the thing is, is that it's draped around uh, Chris Evans. So right, that's yeah. I, it's the dorkiest sweater ever. You can wear whatever you want when you're Chris Evans. That's true. You're on Midnight Local, the podcast from How to Drink, where we just talk about things. Movies. Uh, pop culture. Maybe some video games. That too. All the things. The things. The stuff and things. All of the stuff and the things on Midnight Local. Let's get to it. I Sometimes I slip into podcast voice and I don't like it. I, you don't sound different to me. Is, this, is it phone voice for you or are those similar things or is podcast voice different? I think podcast voice is different. Okay. Meredith, we have a podcast. Got it. Good morning. It's Greg and Mare, your drive time buddies. We're here to play fart noises and prank call people. Yeah, I you, you know how radio keeps the engagement up with exciting things to say. Yeah, but I never want to sound like that. I want to sound like a normal fucking human. That's fair. I think we settle into normal humor. It's only the yeah, beginning. I'm used to coming out of the gate on how to drink. That's kind true. of at maximum volume. It's true. I grab the audience with some screaming insanity, and then I can settle into the episode. Oh, my God. I'm going to drink liquid fire. Wow. Okay, guys. Let's make the show. You know? <laughs> it's true. We don't have to do that here. No, I don't got to do Ease that. Ease our way in. Sidle on up. Get real cozy with our audience. How's it going out there in Cozyville? Hmm? You all like that? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Glass Onion today. Uh, what did you, uh, you got any openers on that one? Uh, well, I rewatched it last night, actually. Oh, yeah, I, I did. I had to. Well, I did my homework because I was pretty tipsy, shall we say, drunk the first time I watched it. I just, there's a lot that I forgot. And rewatching it yesterday, there was a ton that I forgot. So, uh, we gave it the whole rewatch. Okay. I have to say, second time around, Mm, I liked it a lot better. You liked it better the second time I around? did. I only have the benefit of a single viewing, and I was a little annoyed by this movie. Yeah, why? <sighs> so Glass Onion is a sequel to Knives Out. Knives Out I loved. I had a really great time with Knives Out. It felt like... Um, 
Ryan Johnson's like love letter to like PBS style mysteries and stuff like that. It felt like I was watching Foils War or something. Yeah, I always say Agatha Christie. It feels very mouse trappy to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely Agatha Christie. I mean, 100%. But I'm just like, I don't know. This movie did not feel like it took place in the same universe as the first one. I totally agree with that. Like it doesn't actually fit it as a sequel. So rewatching it, the formula is very similar, almost identical. Yeah. Yeah. It's meet your cast of characters sort of in an individual way. Yes. And then they all come together for some sort of event or party in Knives Out. It's an event that's happened in the past. Right. And then unfold the mystery. And then there's a flashback to take you back through what you missed. Right. And then a conclusion at the end where everyone finds out what happened. So here's the thing for me. Knives Out felt like a mystery movie with some funny moments. Glass Onion felt like a comedy with one or two mystery moments. That's very true. And Knives Out felt like um, believably existed in the real world with the slight heightening that like a famous detective is a thing. Well, and they're not... Glass Onion does a lot of jokes about real people, cameos, Hollywood cameos. There's the Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. There is uh, Jared Leto's like alcoholic kombucha that they're drinking throughout. Uh, Serena Williams is like on the screen in the. So it's meant to be much more like Holly inside. It's not even insider Hollywood jokes, just Hollywood jokes. You're poking at your friends. So. I I was thinking about this in a slightly different way, whereas it's, you know, we're dealing kind of with like millionaires, the millionaire class right. in the first movie, which feels more accessible. I think that like our brains cannot quite wrap around how different million and billion is. Sure. Like we physically can't understand it. Sure. And so if the m- movie is trying to bring you to that like heightened billionaire space, it's just going to feel completely different. Yeah, but like even... Like even Benoit Blanc, his lifestyle feels like a cartoon. Like everything about this movie feels cartoonish to me and over the top and not to its service because it feels that way about every character. Like there is a billionaire in this movie, one. Right. Whom, fine, let them live in a cartoon world. But also like before we ever meet that character or certainly before Benoit does, Benoit is like in a bathtub with Hugh Grant baking bread and stuff and- it's a that's a strange place for a film to open. So I think they're making a COVID joke, which watching it in December of 2022 yep. wasn't as present in your mind. So it felt off. You weren't in on the joke anymore. It felt like it was making a past joke. Yeah. Like you're in a COVID party with Kate Hudson's character. Right. And they're in they're just having like all the wild Hollywood parties you were hearing of. They were just making fun of things that were currently happening. But the problem is when the movie came out, they weren't currently happening anymore. I do agree with that. I think that that's a hundred percent there are there are it's all COVID jokes. It's all COVID jokes. But after Knives Out, the promise of a sequel, I was like, oh cool. He's writing his own Hercule Poirot. Honestly, you could have said to me, oh cool this is our own, a new Indiana Jones of mysteries. And instead, I think Glass Onion killed the potential for this having a life beyond two films. Oh, they're developing the third one right now. I don't think, I mean, I, I have zero interest because yeah. like it's, it's a different genre in a way. Like 
There is no connective tissue between these two movies. Besides... A character's name. What I was thinking as I was watching it is like he fanboys over the billionaire and it doesn't feel like the same person. But then at the end, it's like it's an act. I, I understand. Yes, I agree. I It does not work for me at all. Um, it doesn't. I'm not even getting into the mystery parts of me because I got thoughts there, too. I got thoughts about this and you're going to hear about them all. Um, <laughs> but it felt to me like they abandoned every single thing about knives out that worked and i wonder if ryan johnson even understood what happened in knives out that was good and i'm gonna go on a tangent which is uh this movie drive you ever seen drive with um who's that dude he's uh from long island and the little ladies like him oh yeah uh well only Gosling. Only... oh right oh okay i'm thinking of a different movie yeah. oh um no i actually don't think i've seen drive Oh, you never saw Drive? Oh, it's a great noir about a stunt driver from LA. Oh, no, I have not. He yeah. He gets mixed up in some, and honestly, it's an awesome heel turn for, um, oh, why can't I think of his name? Uh, he was the <laughs> such a terrible, he's the voice of Marlon in um, Albert Brooks. Yeah, talking about Albert Brooks, he plays the bad guy in the movie. It's He's awesome at it, ice cold. Um, and then I watched, I used to do this thing, because I was insane, where I would watch a movie. And then be like, I really liked that movie. Let's watch it again right now with the director's commentary on. Okay. Which we used to be able to do back in the days of DVD. Yeah, so it's I a watched very film student thing to do. Oh, I know, I know. It's insane person shit. But I went immediately and watched that movie with the director's commentary on. And um uh Christoph Winding Refn, I think is his name, the director of that movie. He's like a Norwegian or Swedish guy, or maybe he's Danish, I don't know. Uh he's from one of the places in Scandinavia. And he's talking through the process of making this movie and how like I didn't know, you know, like basically every single one of his instincts and choices that he wanted to make was subverted by happenstance, you know, mm-hmm. like he, he didn't really think that um, Ryan Gosling was the right guy for the job, but then he went out to dinner with Ryan Gosling to humor him and he was like deathly ill, like crapping his pants, deathly ill at this restaurant. And then Ryan Gosling like trapped him in a car and drove him around and basically made him like beg for the bathroom so that he would get the part or something like that. Was, I'm paraphrasing. It's been years and years since I listened to this. So if that's not what happened or I'm slightly askew, fine. But he was like, fine, you can have the job. And like then the other casting parts, like he really wanted like really stereo, like racially stereotypical characters for other roles. But like that was upset and stuff like that. That didn't happen. Like every choice he wanted to make in this movie was stymied. And it's by far the best movie he ever made. Sure. Like sometimes you get too in your head about, I think about a, what you're working on. No, I think he's a bad director who lucked into a very good movie. Because you a Glass Onion? No. Oh, no. You're, oh, you're talking about Drive. But I'm talking okay. about like in general, like this thing can happen where, you know, not every director is good. Right? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like some people just get the job. Yeah. You just get the job. Uh, maybe his movies work very good in uh, another language. I watched Drive, fell in love with him, tried to watch any of his other stuff. Could not stay awake. Very boring stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, other people love his stuff. I, I think that you're just a masochist. I, I really can't understand <laughs> it, enjoying his work beyond that movie, which is great. Uh, but like, it was great in spite of everything he wanted it to be. He wanted it to be a completely different movie and he couldn't make that movie. And I think he's unhappy with it, but it's right. a great movie. Like, it was huge critical acclaim. Only movie in his repertoire that people really like. Just a big happy mistake. Exactly. Okay. He stepped in magic shit. Okay. And- <laughs> I do wonder if 
in a similar but but detached vein, if Ryan Johnson was himself oblivious to what was good about the first movie here, if he was oblivious to what was good about Knives Out. I'm not convinced I'm quite that there. I think the first time I watched this movie, I was like, eh. I, it, for me, it was like it lost the charm. It's it wasn't as charming. Uh, it's also like characters you're supposed to know and already annoyed about. Like they all represent like Joe Rogan and yeah, uh, you know Elon Musk or sure. Steve Jobs. Totally Musk. Yeah, I'm more Musk definitely. I heard uh, the Lionel character is like the Wozniak to Steve Jobs, like the sensible. I I don't know this about kind them, of. but like Wozniak, yeah, Steve, Steve Wozniak's. Uh, even more sensible, honestly. And then, more like, outspoken, actually. Birdie has lines that I think directly relate her to an influencer. I forget her name. I wrote it down somewhere. But... I couldn't tell you. Yeah. So, I mean, they're... Fergie? No. But I mean, Fergie? I mean, overall, it's more like a Kardashian type. But I think there's oh, yeah. a particular influencer that stepped in it. And she actually used like her story about going on... There's a story where she's talking about... Someone comes at her and is like, well, you went on Oprah and compared yourself to Harriet Tubman. And I guess there is, and this is the Kate Hudson character, uh, and I guess there is a uh, influencer who did that during Black History Month. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so they pulled that out. So it's like- That's a great thing to say. <laughs> they're playing people that we're supposed to know. In Knives Out, they're playing archetypes we're supposed to know. Sure. I guess. I couldn't. None of those characters felt like archetypes to me. And Knives Out? I guess they, like archetypes, like the Not angry maybe. woman, the, the, bow, the, the, the mooch, the, right. okay. you know, the son that's supposed to inherit everything from, you know, the golden child. I will say this. Every time a new character was introduced in Knives Out, I was thrilled and just like, ooh, this is fun. And every right. time a character was introduced in Glass Onion, I was just like, this movie is still on. <laughs> oh god it's just like pulling teeth they're not very likable i don't mean like not like i i was bored of them there was nothing to discover oh see uh, kate hudson I, she's just more and more her mom in every movie and yep. i just think she's adorable and fun to watch i want more ugly people in movies true i would like less adorable people i'm good with that yeah you i mean really... you love john waters that is that is the epitome yeah, of that you know what else i miss about Gritty. older movies what teeth 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 man you watch these movies now this is like i've been watching ryan johnson's show that he does with uh, natasha leone uh poker face yeah i love that show mostly there you go so he didn't just stumble into something oh, I, good I, yeah I, I agree i i i well no 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 i don't i don't think ryan johnson's a very talented director okay. I, I don't think he's like nicholas winding refn who may or may not be a talented director probably is to some degree just like doesn't connect for me i think that ryan johnson's a very talented director but I think that he may not be aware of what was good about Knives Out. I would be more apt to agree with you if it wasn't like so highly rated. People love this movie. People hate this movie. It's more, um, what am I trying to say? Give me my words. Divided? Divisive than, uh, than Knives Out for sure. But like yeah. it's got like a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. Like... It's been critically acclaimed. Like people more seem to like it than not like it. I'll tell you what, not in my circle. <laughs> I didn't see anybody with a positive review of that yeah. movie. And I'm talking not just like, you know, fanboys, like, you know, normies, but like, you know, reviewers. Yeah. Um, it's funny how that works. We have different circles. That's true. Actually, 
haven't talked to a lot of my friends about it. It kind of knives out was something that like hit the culture so hard and everyone was talking about it. Yeah. This one fizzled out so the sweater, fast. The sweater. The sweater. The sweater. That Ransom is wearing? What, what yes, sweater? Yes, the sweater. <laughs> All of it? the Twitter ladies were very thirsty ah. for the sweater. <laughs> They wanted him in the sweater. I need to. I remember it's just a white sweater I with thought. some holes in it. Yeah, the thing is, is that it's draped around uh, Chris Evans. So right, that's yeah. I, it's the dorkiest sweater ever. You can wear whatever you want when you're Chris Evans. That's true. You know that is you, true. When you're built like a department store mannequin, it all looks good on you. Yeah. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This movie also just has more like you've got the the guy who's already on the island who's like just drinking beer and smoking weed who never pays off. It's just like nothing. It's just supposed to be funny. There's nothing there besides like a stupid punchline. It's all about these cameos. Uh, What's his name? Ethan Hawke is like his assistant for like two seconds and then is is out of it again. And I think the first time Ethan Hawke was yeah he like walks in says something to miles and he's supposed to be some sort of assistant for miles who's like leaving the island on his way out and it's just like a second cameo and and when they all get to the island things like that for me were so distracting that i it took the second watch through i knew all of that distraction was just noise yeah so it was easier for me to like get into the plot of the movie whereas the first time i watched it i think i was like i mean i was drunk but i was also just like oh ethan ox here he must be a character right waiting for him to come back, waiting for something to pay off with the like weed guy. It was just, it wasn't as tight as Knives Out. I also think that like billionaire status and billionaire islands, like everyone's got a bad taste in their mouth about that. And it's just very sad place to be for a whole movie. Well, so that was my, yeah, that was, I think we were touching on that before is that like, there's this idea that like, and I've heard people say it's like, oh, but, it's supposed to be a cartoonish film because billionaires live in a cartoonish world. But like w- there is no Alice in Wonderland moment here or not yeah. Alice in Wonderland. Or, uh, I was actually thinking of Dorothy. There is no Dorothy moment where all of a sudden the world is in color. Like we start with Benoit Blanc being already living in a cartoonish, ridiculous world. They all are. The party yeah. is the the Joe Rogan character being uh chastised by his mother and turning into exactly what he's like criticizing right away. It's all just like joke punchline, joke punchline, joke punchline. And they mostly miss. What? Most of the jokes miss. Yeah, I do think it's kind of like, yeah, I get it. Like I think it was a joke that the actor and the director got and nobody vetted it. Like I I swear I really feel like this movie was underwritten. Yeah, because it was slapped together. We'll make fun of celebrities. Everybody knows and it'll be a good time. I think COVID movie is right. It was slapped together because we had nothing to do and everybody's available. 
So well, and they put them all together. They shot it on yeah. an island. Like it was the best maybe they could do with the circumstances. Maybe the script change. I actually don't. I don't know. Think either. so? I'm just talking about like the the you're talking about the cameos, right? Like, I think the function of this movie was everybody's available. Uh, who's the distributor? I'm Ryan Johnson. They've got a bucket of money for me to spend. Okie dokie. Yeah. Like, are we ready to shoot it? I guess. Do you have a script? Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like I don't think that they. I really think this is a. I, I think this is a movie that shouldn't exist. <laughs> I don't think any effort or thought was put into this movie. I wouldn't at go all. that far at all. I think when they start to unspool what actually happened, and that the um, I hate this movie more the more I talk about it. The character, um, the twin, Andy and Helen. When Andy you reveal there's the twin, and then you kind of go back through the story because you know that they're both there. That's where it starts to feel more like Knives Out to me. You've gotten through all of sort of the jokes and the setups of the character, and now you just get to get into what happened here. Two things. One, twin plot. Oh, boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, boy. Come on. But number two, and nobody knew. Come on. Um, I never told any of my best friends in the world that I have a twin sister. Ever, I do think once. they knew, but I think that they just don't value each other's lives enough to give a shit. So it like was information that they just like forgot about. The other thing is about the jokes. I gotta go back to the jokes. Okay. In Knives Out, the jokes felt very witty. They felt kind of sophisticated. Very tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> the jokes here felt like they were written in crayon. Mostly, yes. I fucking hated this movie. There's one joke that I liked that stood out to me. Then they're like, so they come into the party at night and he's handing them all their drink that he remembers that they yeah. that's their favorite drink. And he gives the politician a glass of room temperature white wine. Yeah. And I just love that because like politicians are working a room all night at the party. So the idea that she never get to drink her wine. So she only ever drinks room temperature white wine. It's good. I like it. I like that. There were definitely (laughs) jokes that were funny. Um, There was moments. Sure. I I definitely chuckled here and there. Uh, It just, and I'm going to say the other thing people always defended for. I was like, it felt stupid. And people always say, but that's the point. I'm like, yeah, but it felt stupid, stupid. It didn't yeah. feel stupid like, oh, it's stupid. Like it's trying to be stupid. It felt stupid like it's stupid. Well, and what made it stand out so differently to you from Knives Out? Is it just... I'd have to watch Knives Out again to really have a great answer there. Um, Knives Out felt like there really was something there to unravel. I guess like you had said that people criticize it for having an ununravable, ununravenable, un, unravel, unravel, ravelable, un, unravelable. <laughs> you unravel something. Yeah. But what if it was un, unravelable? Impossible to unravel. Yes. It, <laughs> it had a impossible to unravel plot. I don't really remember that being that, to be honest but i, I guess just that's think, the case so she never gave him the wrong medicine there's just no way you could know that because she does it on instinct she's so good at her job that even though it was the bottles were switched she just felt something different about the liquid and instinctually switched them back mm. and so there's no way she could have killed him because she gave him the right medicine mm. and what can l- lose her the inheritance is that she did accidentally kill him. Right. Um, and then there's a big reveal at the end where he reads the toxology report and reveals that. 
Got it. So there's no way you can put that piece together totally. No, probably not. There is something to seeing these millionaire characters lose their shot at their inheritance that is satisfying. And you can't get that in Glass Onion, even though his clear thing is exposed and it's not going to become the thing. Like, you can't punish a billionaire. Right. So it's just like, at some point you're screaming into a void that's not very fun to scream into. And that's where, like, I had more fun watching it the second time. I found it entertaining. I don't hate it as much as you do. But what I do agree with you on is that, like, it just doesn't feel fun to watch it feels like oh god that is what this is like or that is what elon musk is like and it's like helpless i'm gonna take objection now to this idea that oh because like benoit blanc why does he not walk in there and immediately solve this entire thing right and then his answer is it was so obvious it was so stupid that i couldn't see it well he does keep saying throughout the movie that he's bad at simple games yeah but how did he ever become a great detective? <laughs> because most murders are very stupid. Right. True. You know, how did you come up from the ranks of, of, of detectiving to these stratified, rarefied heights, these rarefied strata, whatever, um, these rarefied heights, if you can't solve simple fucking murders. But do you think he's trying to, he's also trying to tear down this empire? Like, he needs the place to blow up to win. He knows there's no way to arrest this guy. He burns up the napkin. Like, the only way to beat him is to have his world literally blown up. And the only way to do that, he can't do it legally. The only way to do that is to play his game a little bit. And while Blanc is so smart, why did he let him burn up the napkin? That's true, too. It was sitting right there. We don't know that much about Benoit Blanc yet. He's not a very good detective. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's not a very good detective. He's very good at solving like conundrums or right. Riddles. He's a Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is a good detective. He actually solves shit. Yeah. I don't know, man. But is he like quick on his feet? I don't know how he is. And like, I think he's supposed to be very quick on his feet. Okay. Yeah. He's Sherlock Holmes is like. I think the the least interesting thing about him is that he's like perfect. Except that he like can't relate to humans in the show Sherlock. You, that's not true in the books. I don't think so. He's not like. I don't think that like people being able to relate to each other is even a factor in those stories. Sure. It's just not written with that in mind. I thought he was always sort of a surly fellow and that like Watson kind of gets him and can communicate with him. And that's how he becomes his partner. Uh, Sort of an obsessive person. Maybe, but I don't think that that like is considered to be a hindrance or anything like that in those stories. Maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't read like the original books. You can project that onto him from a modern standpoint. Sure. You know what I mean? But like. Anyway, we're off topic there. I don't know. I just question that entire thesis that like, well, I couldn't solve it as fast as this other thing. I couldn't solve it. The The thing that was hard about it was that it was simple. That to me is stupid because it was just standard, regular old. Like I said on Twitter or something like that, man, McNulty and Bunk would have had that shit in five. Yeah. You know, you get the guys from The Wire out there. They got it. They yeah. get it done in a minute. <laughs> you know? Well, that guy did it. How do you know? That's he had true. the motive. <laughs> and, you know, it does, it does sort of break with the beginning. He's like, I just need a really good case. I need something like I can really sink my teeth into. And he, he had it solved. So he didn't really get that, I guess. Mm. 
What do you mean he had a soul? Well, because by the time she brings him the box, like they kind of know what they're going in to do from the beginning. He doesn't, though. He doesn't know that Miles is the killer. He doesn't know who's the person. Right. Right. So that's what he's trying to solve. In fact, he insists repeatedly that it couldn't be Miles because who else would be implicated? Right. You know, Miles has the most to gain by this. He would never do that. It'd be stupid. But he figures it out in the scene where he kills the Joe Rogan character. Yes. But that's like pretty late in the movie, right? It's about midpoint, yeah. Because that's where the whole like fun house of murder sort of <laughs> kicks off. Murder house of fun. Is there anything redeemable about it to you? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I didn't like it. I, I had no fun watching it. Yeah. I don't know. I thought the ending was really dumb. Yeah. Let's blow it all up and all just live. That is that's true. Actually, watching it back the second time, I was like, wait, did they die? And then they go into this yeah. room and everything's on fire and they're all just like hacker in the middle of the room. And it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. It's real cartoon shit. Like it's yeah. actual Looney Tunes stuff. It might as well just turn into an accordion after right. falling off a cliff. Well, and it does sort of mirror a moment in uh, Knives Out that is so much more fun where he's got the knife and he goes to stab her and you realize that it's a toy knife brilliant yeah that's fun. It's great yeah that's hilarious yeah. i love that let's blow up the room and not die right not a mystery i don't understand that at all <laughs> it just seems dumb yeah. it really seems like we just ran out of ideas finished the movie well and it also leaves you with like clear so it's like okay so houses are gonna blow up but the people will be okay <laughs> yeah that's true yeah these houses will explode harmlessly it's not really <laughs> as big a deal as you think it is it's a it's a totally acceptable risk <laughs> minor sol- problem to solve yeah also i don't really understand like i wish they had done a little bit more work on what was wrong with clear with the special fuel um like why was it like maybe it doesn't need to be because like it's just like magic science right i I know nothing about it yeah i do it pissed me off yeah so it's hydrogen is that what it is it's like a form of hydrogen where are you getting it from how are you making it you need stuff to make hydrogen. What are you making it out of? Is that clean? How's that clean? Okay, but why is the hydrogen so unmanageable? We're already managing all this natural gas. How is this better? I don't understand. Like, where are you getting it from? You know, like in my brain, I was like, fusion. Just make it fusion. Fusion would be so much better because it's like, oh, I get that. That works. Yeah. That's true. Knives Out is grounded. You don't have a moment of, you don't have to have like magical thinking to. No. There's no suspension of disbelief. You're. I love it. Yeah. I'm in there. That is like where things really start to break for you is when people start to say like, no, this is fine. You don't need to know more. If you ever Just... say that to me, I'll rip your teeth out. <laughs> I fucking hate that shit. Yeah. My tiny Joss uh, Whedon little, teeth. You have totally normal teeth. I'm looking at them. You don't have those Joss teeth. She's wrong. Maybe she needs glasses. I don't know. <laughs> you have perfectly normal teeth. Yeah. The uh, That's true. I really like same thing with D&D too. It's like I really want to when I play Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. I'm always very interested in like, how does this setting work? Mm-hmm. How does this economy work? We're going to get way off the rails here, but I'm just going to do it. One of my big complaints is that in D&D as written, there's just magic everywhere. Yeah. Magic is everywhere. Right. And then in practice, player characters very seldom die and they have access to healing magic. And the game also tells you that like, man, what an adventurer can make in like one dungeon crawl puts to like is lifetime worth of daily of like laborers income right so if you add all of that up there's magic everywhere magic healing is pretty available right unless the player characters are just special maybe they are but like they have pretty good access to it um there is a pretty low risk 
right? Because once you become like a hero, like, I don't know, 50%, 75%, you're going to make it to level three, level eight, whatever. Probably better than that at most people's tables. Um, you could probably survive one adventure. Why is anybody farming? Why is anybody farming? Why does anybody not reach for that brass ring? Why do they spend their life in toil? And to me, like that has to be a question that you have to have an answer for. Okay. Like it, it's very important for me that this setting works. And then a lot of people wave their hand and they say, why, why are you worrying about that? It's a fucking world with dragons. And I'm like, yeah, but there's rules for that. We understand, right. like there's, it makes sense in that setting. It has to make sense in that setting. I hate when people hand wave that stuff away. I really bother. Well, and me. it clears representing self-driving cars, like things that are dangerous that we're like, we're just going to mass produce it and let's yeah. make it happen. And, but like, how is it different from something like the beginning of return of the living dead you have this gas that we, goes into the air it tells you the rules those are the rules but how is the gas where did the gas come from why is it why is it work the that army way? made it to get rid of uh marijuana but and then the film stays true to that material what i'm saying like if you take the D for example right mm-hmm. we know that adventurers are rare we know that most people are laborers but nothing about that setting reinforces that or makes that make sense right like you have to make it make sense just there's nothing in there that like that's not what would happen right there's no motivation for that to be reality you could take reality and inject into it we have a drug that makes zombies okay what happens when you use the drug it makes zombies okay but zombies come out when we use the drug okay in this movie they injected we came up with science to make this thing i agree i agree but i i I, that's why but like it that one in particular irks me a little bit just because i think they said it was hydrogen specifically and it's like yeah but there's real but we that's like if you had just said we found a magic right sure we found magic diamonds in the in this mine that produce energy i would be like that's great that's fine okay. but because you said hydrogen i happen to know just from paying attention for the past 15 years all of the problems that are wrong with an <laughs> a hydrogen-based economy and it's like they didn't answer a fucking single question i have as soon as you say hydrogen not one not one i don't think ryan johnson knew what was wrong with hydrogen i don't it think he thought doesn't. about it no I well don't think then so. he shouldn't make a fucking movie about it <laughs> how does that sound that's what i think i think he shouldn't fucking open your mouth what i'm always skeptical of in in society but they use it as a trope in this movie anyone who says that they invented something on a napkin ooh, and so napkin invention what a trope yeah it's (laughs) but it's not it's not a movie trope it is like a worldwide life trope people still make that claim i made a list oh shit she made a list (laughs) i made a list the napkin inventions let's hear them that have been invented on a napkin shark week Literally, now I want to be clear. These people literally claimed on a napkin. Yep. Southwest right. Airlines. Shark Week. So I also want to back that up. Shark Week. The actual TV event from Discovery Channel. They were talking. At a napkin. Shark Week. So they were talking at a cocktail bar. Everyone's talking at the bar. They, uh, bars. These bars all have cocktail napkins, by the way. Yeah. And everyone always has a pen handy and they're yep. jotting down ideas. Shark Week was born in the 90s. 
I'm going to say I believe Shark Week. Let's okay. rate these. Okay, let's see if you believe them <laughs> or not. Because, like, I think that, yes, that happened in the 90s. People had to have pens on them, like, as a religious, like, you know, as an important thing. Particularly studio executives. You got to have that pen. You're going out for drinks. I think Shark Week could have happened on a napkin. What's okay, next? Shark Week. So uh, these all did have backstories. I didn't write all of them down. No, that's but, all right. All right. Southwest Airlines. All right, you're going way back. 70s, right? When was Southwest born? I don't know. I 80s? know it was born in San Antonio, but I'm not sure 80s, when. 80s, 70s. And what the hell do you write down on a napkin? Just start airline? It was. They <laughs> wanted to, to have a, a lower a lower cost, non like domestic airline. Oh, that's not an invention, though. Like a lot of people, the a lot idea. of people said that's a good idea. We should make air flying cheaper. Do you think the first time that was discussed was on a cocktail napkin? No. Not only do I not think that was like uh, now I'm going to I'm calling I'm saying I I won't decline to think that like a napkin may have been involved at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe when we're working out the t- the name. Okay. But the idea of an airline uh no. I'm not no that one doesn't <laughs> ring calling, true to me. You're calling you're calling false on that yeah, one. Yeah, false. All right, you'll like this one. Aaron Sorkin says he wrote the beginning of A Few Good Men on a napkin. Yeah, I mean, first off, I didn't know Aaron Sorkin wrote A Few Good Men. I guess the play. And that's what got was it turned, a play? I think I think it was a play that turned into a movie, and that's how his career took off. Oh, I had no idea he was even affiliated with it. Um, no, probably he probably wrote the screenplay. I don't know. Uh, the idea that Aaron Sorkin writes his stuff blind drunk in a bar doesn't surprise me. I can't stand Aaron Sorkin's writing. Sure, Richard Berry wrote Louis Louis on toilet paper. I buy that. (laughs) (laughs) The famous story that at a rap party first Toy Story, they came up with A Bug's Life, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and Wally, all on a napkin. Well, I don't know about a a napkin. Oh, I don't know about that. I know that they started, I thought they had started the company with like those four movies or whatever that they knew they wanted to make from day one. That's what I had heard, which is kind of why Pixar movies started to fall apart after they made those four movies. Right, exactly. Um, but I napkin, uh, nah, no need for a napkin. Whiteboard. I think yeah. whiteboard. We know this one is untrue. The turf queen, if I can call her that, J.K. Rowling. Uh, um, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I, I, don't, I couldn't care less. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Fine. <laughs> that she wrote the beginnings of Harry Potter on a napkin. How much of the beginnings of anything could you fit on a napkin? I'm going to question anybody who claims that they started writing anything other than one word. On a napkin. Wizarding school. Yeah, like, have you ever written on a napkin? It sucks. It sucks. It's fallen apart. That's it's... my toilet paper suit a little off to me, because it's also very difficult. Well, one, I don't know what this condition of toilet paper in the UK is like. It might be much more heavy duty, <laughs> um, particularly in a post-war environment. It might have been something like just like wood pulp. I don't know. Um, and two... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take him seriously, but not literally on that one. Sure. I, I believe that he wrote it in the bathroom. I believe that he wrote it while pooping. Right. I, I believe that toilet paper was involved in its creation. I would willing to believe that he wrote it on an, on toilet paper, but I don't require that to be true for this one to be true enough. Fair. Uh we got the laugher curve, which led to trickle down economics on a cocktail napkin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll buy that. (laughs) (laughs) Also, uh, the Gettysburg Address on the back of a letter, which that I believe he was traveling. Yeah, for sure. Writing it. Same thing with uh, Francis Scott Key and the Star Spangled Banner. Back of a letter. I don't see any. Well, first off, paper was expensive. You had to reuse it. But I don't see any reason for him to lie about that, for anybody to lie about that. Yeah. But these were some of the famous ones. What else? Oh, the ones. (laughs) Trump advisor 
Sebastian Gorka's plan to split Libya into three. He read it. He, I think he actually presented the European diplomat with the napkin. He wrote that plan <laughs> or read it off the napkin to him. Yeah, it was a, I buy that. Does he claim that? I don't know. I think I, like that could I think also that be an was something that like other people saw. I yeah. think. Yeah. So there you go. That's Lots it. Of, that's all I wrote down. I'm sure there's more. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, some of those are pretty suspect. I just like the idea that it's like oh, and like the idea just came to me, and so yeah, napkin. Now yeah. notes, you're writing notes in your cell phone. That's true. If you're writing Nowadays. anything on a napkin, you're like really trying to like right on be part of that part of history. <laughs> Nowadays, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I also think like um, one of the things about this movie like that just makes it feel less successful to me is like i'm exhausted by the disruptors and the you know just the like corruption of crawling your way to the top i'm a i'm done with reading headlines about uh, from the New York Times that are, you know, making the case for J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I'm done with being told that if I skip breakfast, I can have more money. Like, I think, like, it's just, it's funny, ugh, not funny, haha. And the characters you're watching in Knives Out are like, you want to see them get what's coming to them. But, like, Tony Collette's character in that, in that movie is like, Who's Tony Collette? Tony Collette is like the oh, and Knives Out. Yeah, is like the the one whose husband has passed or she's divorced and mm. he's helping her daughter go to college. Oh. And then you've got like the the like Nazi fourteen year old who's yeah. like, like, it's, like it's like you idiot kid. Like I can laugh at that yeah. and not feel like my life is being ruined by these people. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, they were characters that you um well they were just more fun it was just a more fun movie i don't know i don't know i didn't i felt like oh god i feel like now i'm treading over my own feet again it was it was just dumb it was just not good i really don't want to spend any more oxygen on it fair enough can we do something else now well since there's a knives out three what would you want to see from a knives out three a return to form <laughs> a return to form the much needed return to form in the third movie yeah i i would like to see um, all right, here's what I would like. I would like there to be a smaller story about a self-contained mystery. Put them on a train. Do that. Do a classic. Do do an Orient Express, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just do that. That's good. Uh, no explosion. No explosions, please. And also, let's okay. dial Benoit down just a little bit. Hey. What? I don't know. why Benoit's not a problem for me. Yeah. In the first movie, he reads as enigmatic. Right. In the sect mo second movie, he reads as affectation. They're giving you more and more of him as I you go. I don't want more. I know you don't. I do. I, that's I don't where want I disagree more. with you. I'm happy to learn more. I think the more you more. tell me, the less I'm going to like. That's probably true. Yeah. I, I, I know for you that's true. No, but unless you, Ryan Johnson or whoever wrote it, wrote it, unless you have exactly the same ideas in my head. I don't want him. <laughs> I don't that's, wa that's an impossible feat. You created Benoit Blanc yeah. as a character who is Blanc with a few idiosyncrasies. And you let the audience fill in those blanks. And then you decided to start filling in those blanks on top of those things we've already filled in. Okay. And now I have to decide 
if I'm going to go with you or with the stuff that I already made up that already fits my own expectations that I already like better. When we first saw Star Wars, when I was young, okay, <laughs> yeah, he describes the Jedi as an organization of for peace. And like it is spoken about with this reverence and like this mysteriousness. And it sounds like a secret order of people who like met in alleyways and like flashed a symbol at each other, right? And that like, you know, we fought in a war and like we had this particular religion that we kept between us. They didn't say that the war was about the Jedi, right? Uh, you meet uh, Han Solo who has never ever seen anything in his life and you remember that he's older than luke skywalker uh in his life that made him believe in the force except for the fact that he would have grown up on a planet that was under jedi control at one time right so we had an image growing up of what the jedi must be like of just like these hooded figures meeting on under under like standing stones in like under the night of the full moon to discuss their philosophy and to practice their sorcery and their religion and they had a very limited amount of power and then and and there was a lot of blank space in there for us to fill in with what is the clone wars he was on a spice run what does all that mean and then they answered all that shit in the prequels <laughs> they answered it and they answered it in a way that nobody was imagining and that wasn't fun the ideas were worse sure that i mean i i understand and i agree with you there i think especially with something that you've had that much time to um, like and fan fiction and people building this world and expanding this world in their heads and then you go and say like new canon and everyone's like no now it's gone in the grand tradition of mystery storytelling the characters the the detective is us the detective is a blank place for us to observe the story through the characters are all of the the what are the usual suspects that surround that point and if you start to develop that detective into a character i don't think it stays a detective story i think it becomes an action movie i don't know become something else to be fair though they didn't give him a ton of stuff like you you know that he was he's bored in his downtime and he gets kind of depressed yes. and that he is gay and that we know that yeah when do we know that hugh grant is his domestic partner making bread in his apartment um it is i looked it up it's it's oh. intentional oh, i didn't catch that yes. is hugh grant gay well in the movie he is Oh, that's no, he's not in real life. No, I didn't think so. No, definitely so, but he's not. playing a Hugh, version of Hugh Grant, who he's is great. Playing Benoit's domestic partner. He's playing Hugh Grant. He calls him Hugh. Does he? That's yeah. funny. But he's not gay in real life, okay. but in in the movie, he is. That's why I didn't think that they were gay. I thought oh, that they were just like bosom buddies, like they were just pals. Maybe not. They call him domestic partner in the like Wikipedia. That's what he's like billed as. Yeah, that's Wikipedia. I don't mind him being gay. I think it's more fun with him being inexplicably flamboyant. To be honest, but yes, okay, so. They give him that. But other than that, you don't give him too much more. You're just adding like a little bit of context. He's got he runs in this circle of very famous people. He lives in very fancy penthouse well, apartments. But I mean, everyone knows that who he is. He is the he is a famous detective. This is weird, by the way. Yeah. That's like the, that should be the one caveat that the setting asks you to, right. to accept that famous detectives exist. Exist. I was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a thing. A famous detective, which is like, you know, Hercule Poirot Poirot. I can't pronounce it. Like, like yeah. is the same thing. Like Hercule is very famous. Right. He's very, he's, he's Hercule. 
for the most part, right? I don't know much about that character. Oh, he's an he's Agatha Christie's recurring detective. Oh, okay, yes. He's got Name. the mustache. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express is a Hercule Poirot story. Okay, as is Murder on the Nile. You know, he's Hercule Poirot. Poirot. Which they've made a bunch of those, didn't they? Make a Murder on the Nile movie. Uh, so Kenneth Branagh has been doing the Poirot films. Have you seen any of them? I think I saw Murder on the Orient Express. It did not really leave a strong impression. But I've heard. I've heard that people are kind of, yeah. Like, this is definitely the chosen um, series. I think a big part of that, too, is that, like, you know, um, Agatha Christie stuff is old. Yeah. I think that a lot of it is just like. So it actually follows those scripts. I think so. Okay. All right. I think they're pretty faithful adaptations. They're not like, to my knowledge, they're not like modernizing or anything like that. Got it. I feel like, I don't know. I guess I just feel like he's more fun the less I know about him. And that allows for those fun moments where you find out something incongruous about him. As we find out more about himself and see his domestic life and stuff like that and how, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? I, was just, I don't want to say over the top, but how like large his life you know yeah then those unusual discoveries that you know you might pepper in like oh well you know i won i'm just giving an example like i almost went to the u.s open in tennis i was one of the great tennis stars of 1987 or something like that you didn't know that about me i'm a tennis champion like those kinds of like little enigmatic plot drops that may crop up in a imagined benoit blanc series that goes on forever lose their potency yeah but you know Indiana Jones, it adds to that story. You get to know his backstory. You see Indiana him as a Jones kid. Indiana Jones isn't a mis- mystery story. Indiana Jones is an action character. He's that's an adventure true. character. Well, Very I think different. I do wonder if that's where they're going with the third. Because now there's re- like regrets that they didn't name it a Knives Out like Benoit Blanc mystery. Like making yeah. him the the indie, the Bond, sure. the, you know. Which is funny too, because I almost, to some extent, it seems like he's just going to turn into gay bond does seem that or like gay sherlock yeah, yeah which i guess is probably fun for um i can't think of his name now the actor oh for uh daniel craig daniel craig who played yeah. james bond for so that long true. Yeah. yeah that's it is sort of like he is just continuing i mean it's a different character but yeah exactly yeah, anti-bond yeah i don't know i just didn't like it i just didn't like it i'm sorry i didn't like it it stinks to really like the first version of something and then walk away from Dude, an anticipated sequel feeling I, let down. I was so like, oh shit, a, a Knives Out sequel. I was like one of the only movies I was excited about in a very long yeah, time. I guess we're not supposed to say this anymore. I am playing devil's advocate a little bit. Um, the first time I saw it, I wasn't thrilled either. I had a lot. I wouldn't probably have watched it again if we hadn't done this podcast. Meredith, do you know how fucking frustrating this conversation has been with you since you've been disagreeing with me at every turn? Are you telling not, me you secretly agree with me? I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you. I was just trying to find something to say besides I hate this movie. <laughs> I've been over here like trying to not rip out my own hair. Like what is wrong with her. <laughs> no, like I, I didn't hate it as much the second time. I don't think I would have watched it again if it hadn't have been for the podcast. Yeah, for this. I know. What do you think is the greatest mystery film of all time? Oh, God. I, I'd have to pull up a list of mystery films. The yeah, greatest. it's a tough one to pull. What's, well, let's look. 
Let's look. I just threw it out there. I didn't have any planning for that. I don't even know if I know the answer. This will piss you off. The National Board of, Board of Review put this movie on their top 10 movies of 2022. Oh, well, as a guy who used to go to National Board of Review screenings and talk to those people, I can tell you that they're all fucking morons. So I'm not. <laughs> don't worry about that. I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> and it was nominated for writing, I think, Oscars this year. I, None I of these you, are mysteries. The best None of them. picture. I was looking at the listing of best picture. I think we were talking about this last episode. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. Well, you only have to be the best of the movies that came out that year. So Okay, so seven um usual suspects. Usual suspects is a good mystery. That's a mystery. I don't yeah. know if seven's a mystery. Like a mystery, you have to have suspects. Right. And you you know who the killer is in seven. They don't I mean, yeah, they do. They're just trying to find him. Um usual suspects is a good example. That's true. Um I would also say like uh God, Hitchcock's probably got a few, right? <laughs> His are more like, like Psycho is, you don't know what's happening. I guess if that's classified as a mystery. I don't know if it is. Like, you know he killed her, you just don't know why. Yeah. North by Northwest, is that a mystery? There's mysteries to unravel. Yeah, like the mystery is who is this guy that everybody thinks I am. Have you seen North by Northwest? I haven't. <gasps> I know. That's Rachel always does that as well. That's like, my. that is my favorite Hitchcock. It is. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, that movie's good. Oh shit, no, it's not good. I don't want to like overhype it now. Um, if I overhype it, you're, it's going to ruin it for you. I promise. But I it's... don't think you can really overhype Hitchcock at this point. You can. Gone Girl was a mystery. Never saw that one. Yeah, the book is better than the movie. But uh, my wife told me about it, and I said that sounds dumb. See, also Get Out. These are weird classifications. I don't think Get Out is really a mystery no. either. Again, uh, it's a mystery in that you don't know what's happening. But I guess that is still mystery. It's just not solving a mystery. Every movie's got a turn in the third act. Like every movie has to have yeah. some kind of a surprise here, right? Be very boring if there wasn't something happening that we didn't expect. A mystery means a specific thing. It's a mystery. Yeah. There's something happened. We don't know who did it. We've got a cast of suspects. That's right. a mystery. You know, a science fiction movie where you don't understand how the science fiction world works. That's not a mystery. You know what's a good one? Uh, Fallen. You ever see that? Nope. Ooh, that's a good see, movie. See, now we're just getting, now we're just adding to the list. Don't ruin it for her, guys. Don't ruin Fallen for her. That's is a good Memento one. Is Memento a mystery? It is a mystery. I hate that. I mean, it's a, it's a gimmicky mystery, but it's a mystery. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie since high school. Yeah, me either. I think I saw it once. Sixth Sense? I don't know. I figured that one out too quick, so. Do you like, like, overall mysteries? Like, if someone invited you, have you ever done, like, a dinner mystery like in middle game. school or his high school we did that once yeah yeah i wanted it to be more fun so they guide you through it you kind of know where it's going no one's yeah. perf that's that's someone needs to perfect those and like redistribute them i think that there are like kits and stuff that you can get now like subscriptions like mystery box subscriptions. yeah they're like whodunits and yeah. someone in the group is a killer yeah. and you're reading your scripts through the night to sort of figure it out but they're not yeah very clever the ones that i've played aren't very clever my mom once uh for her new year's eve party set up clue in our house oh wow and everyone got assigned a character and came dressed as their character oh wow and each room was a room in clue and they oh, played wow. live clue so they have to roll dice to go from room to room i think they did yeah what? and like we had um <laughs> that's amazing we had like i remember my Dimatap bottle was covered with thing that said poison and like oh, so we wow. had the props that moved from room to room oh, as that's well cool. did you have secret passages 
No. <laughs> yeah, my mom like dug tunnels under the house. Dude, my grandmother's amazing. house had secret passages. Well, and that's part of the fun of this for me is like Love I in just the let beginning. That go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll come back around yeah. to it. <laughs> part of the fun of this in the beginning for me in the first act is this idea that they're going with old friends to like play a murder mystery on this fantastical island. And I do like think that that would be so much fun to do as a child having passages in your grandmother's house that must have been a blast yeah she had secret passages uh it was an old old house uh kind of a summer house over here built in the shore and uh there was a couple different kinds of secret passages so the most obvious one was the servant stair that went to the kitchen from upstairs that was like a real narrow rickety stairway mm-hmm. um and the door was kind of hidden so you know if you didn't know where to look for it, you wouldn't have spotted it and that was cool because you could like dis- you know disappear off this way or go that way and then all the bedrooms were upstairs and um i guess this is how they dealt with like quote air conditioning back in the 1800s every bedroom had doors that connected one bedroom to the next but because my grandmother got real into weird 70s goth stuff uh there was like tapestries hanging on all the walls so i mean i'm not joking when i said i was like 14 when i found out that these doors that it connected the rooms existed like i didn't know they were there they're all behind the tapestries that's incredible yeah and then also it was one of the houses that had eaves so on the other side of every room there was like a sideways attic that you could crawl into and then that wrapped around the house and you could come back into any other room from the like sideways attic as well. Um, and then there was also the third floor, which also had like eaves and sideways attic and stuff up there as well. That sounds like magic as a kid. No, it was scary. No? That house scared the shit out oh, of me as I a kid. Okay. I love it now, but as a kid, it was spooky as hell. Yeah, I remember after my grandfather Fucking passed. place felt haunted. <laughs> um, he had an addition built onto his house and one of the entrances to the additions that they had built like in the 90s yeah. was through a closet. So you'd like walk into the closet oh, and wow. come out on the other side. It was like this added apartment to the okay. house. And so while we were like cleaning out his house, my nephews were just, it was the craziest thing to them to go upstairs and go through the, sure. I mean, it was just magical. Going through the wardrobe. Yeah, they must have been the, like three and five. <laughs> into but the second apartment. Exactly, <laughs> into the apartment. Into the magical apartment. It was like his office that he ended up using it for. You ever, you ever get into any mystery TV shows? I like mysteries, but I'm trying, like, I'm I'm struggling right now to really think of something I've gotten into. I like Foil's War. Okay. Pretty into that one, if you've yeah, ever seen Yeah, give me it. some mysteries to Ooh, watch. Foil's War is a BBC show. It's good. Okay. It's a mystery show. He's a, uh, I don't know, they have weird police ranks in the UK, detective sergeant, lieutenant, inspector, or something. <laughs> right, okay. He's an important guy, <laughs> and it's World War II, and he wants to go to the war, but they don't let him, because they're like, we need you holding down the fort here on the south of England. And so he solves mysteries throughout World War II on the south of England. Okay. Um, that's a good one. Like that week to week. Very fun. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Clue. Clue is sort of similar to this. Like it's not a mystery. It's more comedy than mystery. Yeah, but Clue is actually a mystery. Yeah. Somebody did it. And actually, you know the story about how that was released, right? No. Oh, man. They shot four different endings for Clue. And... Th- Every theater got a one of the four endings. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, I maybe I did know this story. Yeah, and it wasn't until they released it like for home video or whatever that they put all four endings together. Oh, like 
all pieces of them together. The four endings go back to back. They work together. And I think they were designed to do that because it's like each one is like, no, 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 no. That's not what happened. I, it was like this, you know, those yeah. are like, uh, but like in theaters, apparently and it was before my time. Um, you only got one of them. Okay. So uh, Charles Dickens died writing the mystery of Edwin Drood. Okay. And so they took it and made a mel- musical melodrama out of it. Most people don't know what a melodrama is. So melodrama is like you boo and hiss at the villains and you cheer yeah. when you see the, you know, it's interactive theater. Oh, to I, I had heard that a melodrama was merely a musical that wasn't a comedy. It was a dramatic musical. Oh, interesting. I always thought melodrama is like, and maybe I'm miscategorizing this as like shows that were done out West where you like cheered for the villain. You had like crowd interaction. Look it up. Let's find out. I want to know theater because people, I certainly people use it in common parlance to mean overly dramatic, you know, like melodramatic. Oh God. It's so heavy. Like what is a melodrama orchestral music songs used to accompany the action. Right. And you've got like, do, 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 do. Like, I think like people sneaking around and like the you'd have a live pianist who was playing that while the actors were playing. But melodramatic means something. Yeah, it's taken on a different meaning. Yeah, but when for, you said it, certain... I thought you meant literally a, a historical melodrama. No, but what's so fun about the show is that each actor has to learn several different endings mm. because based on like the audience, they like pull the audience... They're in the middle of a song and they're basically like, and then he died. So we don't know how this ends. <laughs> then mystery never gets solved. Okay. So based on audience reaction, they perform a different ending every night. Oh. Based on we choose who falls in love. We choose who ends up being the killer. Got and it. then they play it out based on the combination of what you chose. Oh, okay. My That's sister fun. did it in college. It was... It's very fun. Is it like improvised or are the different endings like all scripted? No, they're all scripted. So you got to memorize a lot of shit. You do. Oh, wow. And be ready to switch it up. Every night. Man, that sounds hard. And everything's possible. There's like a brother, sister, and there's a storyline where they end up together, <laughs> like Ugh. being the love interest where they basically are just looking out at the audience telling you like, you're sick. You're disgusting. <laughs> 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 Why have you done this? <laughs> That's funny. Um I guess any good noir is a mystery, right? They're always looking for somebody. There's right, Chinatown. Ooh, Chinatown's a good mystery. That's a that's a neo noir, but that's that's one of the ones we're not allowed to talk about. We're not. Not really. I just every day there's something I can't talk well, about. Well, that's made by Roman Polanski. Oh, that's right. It is. It is Polanski. So the Polanski's that tough for me because fucker. I know, I, like a lot of. I really like his movie. <laughs> He's he's tough for me to let go of, but man, do I like! Oh God, I do really love Chinatown. It's a complicated thing. That's a, that's a good one. There's mysteries on top of mysteries in that one. I think well, we, have to stop we clearly talking. have to get into some more mysteries because it's something yeah. we both like. Mysteries might be a good one for like uh, live watching. Oh yeah, because we can like guess. You know, we will live watch. We will commit right now to live watching Knives Out three. Oh, for midnight sure. local. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, uh, you will find us on Stitcher, on Apple. Anywhere you get your podcasts. Anywhere you get those podcasts, you can get them there. And you can also find us at uh, youtube.com slash midnight local. 